Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Anderson, thanks so much. I'm Michael Smirkanish, in for Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime. So, there will be no 9-11-style investigation into the events of January 6th. As expected, there were not 10 Senate Republicans willing to go along with such an inquiry. At first blush, it sounds bewildering, disinterested, even cold. When the 35 Republican senators who today blocked the January 6th commission go home for their Memorial Day recess, I'm sure they're going to take a moment to remember our heroes who gave their lives to protect our freedom all around the globe. So why doesn't that type of reflection translate into honoring the Capitol Police officers who gave their all to protect them on January 6th and to the ones still working daily to keep them safe? Like Eugene Goodman, who used himself as bait for the mob to keep the rioters away from the Senate chamber, still full of lawmakers. Goodman also rushed Senator Mitt Romney to safety. Bravery like that It earned Goodman the Congressional Gold Medal, and no senator could deny his courage that day, including this one. If not for the quick thinking and bravery of Officer Eugene Goodman, in particular, people in this chamber may not have escaped that day unharmed. Eugene Goodman was on duty as usual last night protecting some of the very senators who spent hours stalling and sidetracking while most of us were sleeping, forcing the final vote to block the bipartisan commission into this holiday Friday when the attention of so many Americans is elsewhere. The direct pleas from the late officer Brian Sicknick's mother to GOP lawmakers went all but nowhere. Today, she told Jake Tapper that while senators were nice to her, many of the meetings were tense because she didn't think they were sincere. If they had a child that was hurt or was killed on, on, on a day like that, they would think very differently. Or if they were hurt, I mean, they could have very well, somebody could have been killed, one of the congressmen, one of the senators, but apparently they just think, well, you know, we're safe because of the men in blue. Here are the six Republicans who voted to advance the bill. Take a look. Including Lisa Murkowski, who decided not to grant Mitch McConnell's request for a personal favor because she's not nearly as worried, if at all, about political risk. To be making a decision for the short-term political gain at the expense of of understanding and acknowledging what was in front of us on January 6th, I I think we need to, to, to look at that critically. Is that really what this is about? Is everything is just one election cycle after another? Well, that's a fair question. This calculation by more than three dozen Republican legislators is based on the belief that riding the tide of Donald Trump's coattails through 2022 and 2024, well, that's the ticket. 
The party has ousted Liz Cheney for this exact reason. She was the final Republican leader who sought to pull the party onto a different course, one that harkened back to an era of tradition, small government, family values. You can look no further than Lindsey Graham to see that GOP leaders have made a different calculation. I've always liked Liz Cheney, but she's made a determination that the Republican Party can't can't grow with President Trump. I've determined we can't grow without him. The GOP made this decision to stick with Donald Trump and his acolytes just before the general election in 2016. And five years and one lost election later, they're sticking to their guns. A January 6th commission may turn out findings that will make it impossible for the GOP to go forward with that strategy. It would also require them to relive and relitigate the big lie. So that's the state of play tonight. Like I said, it sounds bewildering, but there are explanations. First, the current GOP doesn't feel compelled to yield to critics who find the party at odds with democracy, whether that's demanding answers to who knew what on January 6th, ensuring ballot access, or ridding its ranks of conspiratorial theorists. See, it's a strategy premised on winning. They aren't motivated to investigate the events of January 6th because their base doesn't demand it. They view polling places as locations to gain advantage by limiting ballot access, reducing early voting, and imposing ID requirements. And while there's been no discernible effort to grow the GOP tent in years, the party is likewise loath to throw anybody out for fear of alienating any part of the base, hence the tolerance of Marjorie Taylor Greene. CNN's Donnie O'Sullivan was at the latest Matt Gates and Green traveling roadshow and talked to some of those following their lead. Donnie, what'd you find? Hey, Michael. Yeah, I mean, look, that event last night, that Green Gates event, took place in Dalton, Georgia. Um, and the last time we were in Dalton was actually 48 hours uh, before the insurrection. Um, and, you know, last night it was a bit like uh, returning to Oz and the Wizard of Oz. Uh, there has been a new president inaugurated now, but so many of the people I spoke to were telling me the same things last night that they were telling me on the 4th of January uh, earlier this year when they were saying that Biden is not the uh, fairly elected president of the United States, and people are still uh, clinging on to this belief that uh, Trump uh, could in some way come back. And they are looking uh, to the Arizona audit. They are looking to um, what's happening in Georgia, also in their own state, and saying, clinging on to that belief that, that Trump in some way could come back, which, of course, it's being egged on by the former president. And look, I think it's easy for, for folks to, to look at this and to look at uh, uh, statistics that have came out in the past few days about um, how many Republicans and how many Americans believe in conspiracy theories like QAnon. But when they are watching a set of, um, you know, essentially MAGA media and when they are listening to uh, the president's allies on social media, that is their reality. Michael? Dodie, I'm curious to know, do you sense that there's a love for Marjorie Taylor Greene in settings like you were visiting last night, or is that they so despise who they perceive her enemies to be that they sign up with her? Yeah, you know, look, I mean, obviously we we heard a lot this week about the 
atrocious comments, comments that uh, Green made about the Holocaust. But I asked many people who were going into that uh, event last night, uh, which was in Green's uh, constituency, by the way, um, what they thought of those comments. And, and they, they like Green not despite of those comments. They like her because of those comments. They view it as her speaking her mind. And I actually spoke to one woman who was on her way into the event last night. And here's what she had to say. A lot of people don't like green. That's okay, because you know why? A lot of people didn't like Jesus Christ. Do you think she should apologize? Um, actually, I don't know exactly what was said uh, that uh, about the Holocaust as to what she said. Yeah. She but, compared COVID restrictions to the Holocaust. Well, um, I can understand that with Mengele, um, uh, the Nazi, and how he used chi- uh, children and people to experiment with experimental drugs. So you're talking about the vaccine? Yes. And obviously we should just point out what, what I was speaking to that lady about afterwards, that, you know, the, the Nazis weren't testing experimental drugs on themselves. Um, you know, the vaccine has been taken, the vaccine has been taken by Trump himself. So obviously the, the comparison is totally ridiculous. But Michael, finally, I would just say that, you know, this all ties together. The big lie, these Holocaust comparisons, the anti-vax stuff, everything, it, it all ties together. Um, it, it's all part of this 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 one big conspiracy. You know, I think sometimes we talk about QAnon as if it's detached from the election lies, as if it's detached uh, from uh, the comments and, and anti-vaccine conspiracy theories. But it's not. It is all for many of the people I meet out on the trail like this. It's all part of the one conspiracy and it's all part of the one set of beliefs. And it's all part of a set of beliefs that, frankly, Republican leaders are not calling out. So, Doni, the woman that you interviewed who was dressed like Evil Knievel wasn't aware of Marjorie Taylor Greene having said those things because the channel she watches doesn't cover her saying them. Thank you so much for your report, as always. Thanks, Michael. Doni's too young to know the Evil Knievel reference, I fear. Let's break it all down. Brendan Buck was a top aide to former House Speakers Paul Ryan and John Boehner. And CNN senior political analyst Ron Brownstein is back. Brendan, let me begin with you. It's not a complicated vote today. Why would Republicans vote for it when it could yield nothing but bad information for them just on the cusp of the midterm election? Yeah, bad information about Donald Trump, bad information about... Uh, their own roles in leading up to it. Look, we, we can talk about how uh, they are trying to uh, avoid a, a, a midterm surprise right before the election. We could talk about Donald Trump's uh, sway over the party. And I think both of those things are uh, a big factor in, in what's taking place. But what you've just been talking about is actually, I think, the much more troubling aspect. And what Republican senators were doing voting against this commission was reflecting their constituents. This was an easy no vote for them. Their constituents don't, there's a poll out this week that shows most Republicans think that that riot was led by left-wing activists trying to make Donald Trump look bad. This is the reality that a lot of voters have. Those those senators are reflecting their voters. And that's not to say that uh, the elected officials don't have a responsibility here, but it is the reality that that, uh, so many base Republicans live in and senators, frankly, are are prisoners to it. And, And so they're reflecting the voters that they have back home. 
Ron, there's no love loss between Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump. This was an opportunity where he could have allowed a commission to do his dirty work, right? Impanel a commission, let them do an investigation, find out exactly what went down at the White House the afternoon of January 6th, but he didn't go that Machiavellian route. Why? Well, I think for the reasons that Brendan said, I mean, you know, as I wrote in February, the extremist wing of the Republican Party has become too big for the party leadership to confront. I mean, the big reality we are facing, I mean, the macro story that we are facing is that the fear of demographic eclipse is eroding the commitment to democracy among a significant share of the Republican electorate. You know, 90 percent of Republicans uh, say that Christianity in America is under assault, two thirds to three quarters, depending on the poll say that whites, discrimination against whites is now as big a problem as discrimination against minorities. And all of that is feeding a, an atmosphere of maintaining power by any means necessary. And when you add up all the pieces that are happening, this vote today on the commission being one just small piece of the picture with the voter suppression laws that are advancing, these audits in Arizona and Georgia, the challenges to Republican officials who certify the election. I, you know, I agree with, with those analysts who say we are facing the biggest challenge to small d democracy in the country since at least the civil war and maybe at any point in our history. Brendan, do you accept that? Well, I certainly think there are demographic or I'm sorry, uh, challenges to our democracy and I see it in, in Congress all the time. We can't get basic things done because both sides, at least their voters, hate each other. Uh, look, my former boss, John Boehner, worked famously with Ted Kennedy to do No Child Left Behind. Paul Ryan worked with Senator Patty Murray to do big deals. Big deals are, are almost impossible now because that is treason to a, lot of, to a lot of voters. And I think that is a real erosion of democracy, our, our ability to come together and have any middle ground. Because when you think the other side is trying to ruin your way of life, um, there's not a lot of incentive uh, to work together. Now, I, I, will, I will challenge that I don't think that the, uh, some of the voting laws, particularly in Georgia, my home state, I think that those have been wildly exaggerated, the effect of those. Um, and I think that there's a lot of hyperbole going on. So I don't think that uh, necessarily uh, democracy is at risk in, through those, some of those laws right now. But that doesn't mean that there aren't uh, efforts underway that we need to be, be cautious of, particularly um, as we've seen in Georgia, you have people running for secretary of state like Jody Heiss, who's running on the concept that the election was stolen. Um, and so that, those are the things that I'm worried about. Ron Brownstein, quick final observation. Yeah. Another, another brilliant piece in The Atlantic in which you wrote about what the Republicans are up to out on a grassroots level. We'll put it up on the screen. Reducing access to mail balloting and early voting, imposing new voter identification requirements, purging voters from registration lists, limiting the use of ballot drop boxes, blocking state court oversight of voting laws, and increasing Republican state officials' authority to override the decisions of local election officials who are Democrats. All that is taking place, and you say, hey, Democrats, you're running out of time. Explain quickly. Yeah. Yeah, look, uh, you know, both it may be true that both parties uh, view the other as a threat to the country, but only one party is acting on that in a way to reduce systematically reduce access to the ballot and to increase its leverage to try to overturn Democratic victories in 2022 and 2024. And there is a great deal of anxiety among voting rights groups, civil rights groups, others working in kind of the democracy space 
that Democrats are simply not putting enough priority on what is happening in the red states now and what it might mean for, again, small-D democracy in 2022 and 24. Uh, they have 49 votes in the Senate for sweeping democracy reform. They don't have Joe Manchin, and they don't have the votes, even if they had the 50, uh, to roll back the filibuster in some way to create uh, an opportunity to, to pass that legislation. Uh, and so I think there's a great deal of anxiety among all of these groups about whether Biden and Democratic leaders are taking this seriously. Chuck Schumer said today he's going to bring it up the last week of June. By the way, speaking of democracy, one last fact, the people who voted for the commission today, if you assign half of each state's population to each senator, represent 191 million people. Americans. The people who voted against it represented wow. 105 million Americans. And the 105 prevailed, which gives you a sense of kind of the threats to majority rule that we are now living through. Gentlemen, thank you. Brendan Buck, Ron Brownstein, as always, have a great weekend. Thank you. More than 50% of adults now fully vaccinated heading into Memorial Day weekend. But how do we make sure that the holiday is both safe and fun? What if we're vaccinated? but our loved ones aren't. You've got questions. Dr. Lena Wen has the answers on the new phase in the pandemic, and that's next. So let's take a breath before this holiday weekend and appreciate exactly where we are. More than 165 million Americans have now received at least one dose of a COVID vaccine. Cases are down and dropping. We've waited so long for this moment for a return to normalcy to see family and friends, to go to the pool, go to a barbecue without a mask for the vaccinated. But let's remember where we were a year ago. Fear and isolation were the norm. This was the front page of the New York Times over Memorial Day weekend 2020, the incalculable loss, nearing 100,000 then. And while we've lost five times that number now, there's clearly light at the end of the tunnel. I want to bring in Dr. Lena Wen, an ER physician and former Baltimore Health Commissioner and talk about the state of play. Dr. Wen, you say that the key factor in terms of determining, well, what can I do this weekend? Where can I go and how can I do it? Is whether you are vaccinated. Explain. Well, we are at so much of a better place than we were last year at this time. Last year, we were talking about hunkering down with your family unit, and we didn't know what was coming ahead of us. We just knew that it was going to be really grim, and it was. And now we're at a totally different place where we're actually telling people, if you're fully vaccinated, go out and see your friends and family. Go travel. Do the things that you've been missing for the last 16 months. And so it's a totally different place but it is a totally different place for those who are fully vaccinated. Those individuals are very well protected from becoming ill, from spreading coronavirus to others, but the risk to those who are unvaccinated remains really high. Actually, a Washington Post analysis done last weekend found that the risk for those unvaccinated is similar to their risk in the middle of the worst surge in January. So for those individuals, if they're traveling, they should still wear N95, KN95 masks or double mask. They should really try to avoid crowded indoor gatherings, but those who are vaccinated can really enjoy and have a great time. How concerned should those who are vaccinated be about mingling with those who are not? Yeah, so it really depends. And I think we're in this in-between phase of the pandemic where there aren't any clear-cut answers. 
the rate of breakthrough infections, meaning infections if you're fully vaccinated, is really low, but it's not zero. And so somebody who has chronic medical issues or lives at home with somebody who is immunocompromised or young children who are not vaccinated, they might still want to be careful because they don't want to accidentally become infected, be asymptomatic, but somehow be transmitting coronavirus to people that live in their household. And so I would say if everybody in your household is fully vaccinated, don't be very concerned. You can really go about many aspects of pre-pandemic normal, but if you're living with somebody who is at high risk, you might still want to take caution. And that's what I'm doing. I've got two little kids. And so my husband and I will socialize with others outdoors. We'll definitely be happy to see anyone who's also vaccinated indoors. But we're not going to indoor crowded gatherings with unvaccinated, unmasked people. Dr. Wen, have a great Memorial Day weekend and thank you. Thank you. You too. The Biden administration taking a harder look at the theory that COVID may have leaked from a lab in China. But 15 months into this pandemic, why are we so short on answers? My next guests say much of the blame lies with efforts to bend the facts and turn the lab leak theory into a potent political weapon. Olivia Troy and David Frum take it up next. There are two headlines this week that you might have thought conflict with one another. President Biden directing the U.S. intelligence community to redouble its efforts to investigate the origins of the COVID pandemic, while also shutting down the State Department's efforts to do the same. Of course, that probe was led by then-Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Is that good reason enough to do away with their work? My next guest knows firsthand why there may be good reason for it. Olivia Troy is a former aide to Vice President Mike Pence and was a senior advisor on President Trump's COVID task force. Also, David Frum has written extensively on the right's push for the lab leak theory. Olivia, let me start with you. You say you had a front row seat to the politicization of the intel on COVID. Explain. I did. So early on in the spring, you know, I was watching the trends of what was happening in China. We were trying to get access on the ground early on. And since we're talking, you know, mid to late January and early February. But what was concerning to me is that, you know, the intelligence community had been briefing on the situation. And what we publicly know now is that they had come to the conclusion that they didn't know precisely. They weren't sure completely. They didn't have a holistic picture of where the virus had originated from. But what's concerning to me, though, is that repeatedly I was asked about whether it came from a lab. And then what was more concerning was the fact that it was, the questions more leaned towards, was it being, was it a, done on purpose? Was it a bioweapon? And I kept refuting these responses because I would say, look, I'm having the intelligence reaver tell you this, I'm working on this on myself. I, we have refuted these responses. But it was you know, upsetting when there was a Washington Times article, which later, by the way, was corrected. Two months later, they walked it back and said, look, we don't, we don't really have the facts on it. And it was, it was just about the lab. And this kept surfacing along the way. It was clear to me that you know, the pandemic response was not going well. And I think that they were looking for an answer where they could shift the blame. Um, and it was just, you know, fundamentally, I was concerned about it because I was concerned about the kind of messaging that would start to surface from the White House. And as you saw, that's what happened along the way. But, uh, but Olivia, Olivia, what if it ends up being true? I mean, it, it seems like there is as equal an opportunity that that may have been true as if it had been false. Right. And here's the thing. We do need to get to the bottom of it if we can. I don't know whether we'll ever have full transparency and really understand the origin of it. That is a mystery. 
Um, and there may be some more information that we've seen in the reporting where intelligence, the intelligence community is continuing to dig on it. And President Biden is within its full right to really actually, you know, ask the questions um, now that we are under a different administration at a different time. And so I think that it's, we need to press China. We need to continue to kind of figure out what happened here and understand the facts. But the truth is, I was more concerned because it was being politicized in a way. And I'm watching people like Senator Josh Hawley, who are asking the questions where they're asking for the declassification solely on a lab. And I just want it to be a holistic narrative, uh, not a narrative that pushes disinformation or conspiracy theories or something like that, that is fundamentally more dangerous um, to push that out to citizens. But David, speaking of the politicization of this whole analysis, so many among us simply wrote off the idea that it escaped from the lab because after all, that's what Donald Trump was saying. And if Trump is saying X, then everybody else feels like they need to be saying Y. Well, well, Trump spent the first two months of the uh, pandemic saying nothing is happening. Everything's under control. The Chinese are doing a great job. I love China. I trust China. Um, China uh, and my top priority with China is to get them to let me out of the crazy trade war I, I started that is depressing the stock market at the end of 2019 and pushing the country to recession. Only after the pandemic began to spread in the United States to a point where Trump began to worry it might affect him politically, did he and people in his party begin to take up the idea that this is an attack on the United States. That was the language President Trump used. He compared it to Pearl Harbor and to 9-11. Now, that's plainly wrong. Um, where, uh, and that's one of the reasons why we, people didn't listen to him at the time is that what they, they, they launched an attack on the United States by first dropping it on their own people inside the city of Wuhan. How does that make sense? So... When, when the, 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 what we are talking about is a very different version of the theory from that which President Trump advanced. And the important question with that is the one you asked Olivia just a minute ago. What if it's true? And this is where you see the, the real folly and self-harm of the Trump point of view. If it's true, if there was a negligent or careless accident in a Chinese lab um, and, it's, and, and a, a terrible disease spread outward from there, we were blindsided because President Trump had blinded the United States. He had removed people, from Americans, from China. If a, a virus like this, a pandemic like this, can spread from a lab, if that's what happened, it shows we need more international cooperation, more American eyes inside China, better sharing of information between scientists. And the way we're going to have to pay for that is by giving China better access to what's going on inside the United States. President Trump wanted the lab leak theory to be a justification for national selfishness and egotism and stoking rage and resentment against others. When in fact, if it's true, and we don't know that it is and it may not be, but if it is, it shows this is a smaller planet than we ever imagined and we need more cooperation, not less. Okay, but Olivia, final word to you. The trial lawyer in me says that if there was negligence on the part of the Chinese, I have no suspicion that they did this deliberately, but if there were negligence and they covered it up, they need to be held accountable and compensate us, no? Like the truth is we don't know. Uh, we have n- no evidence that I had seen back then um, to believe that it was done on purpose. I mean, they, they have been studying the virus, um, How what happened there. I mean, we should be asking and we should be having accountability here. And look, fundamentally, there was a lack of transparency very early on from China. And we did try to get access on the ground, CDC tried. We were trying to really understand the virus firsthand on what was happening early on in the pandemic. So I think the questions, and Biden is right to continue to press China and say, what really happened here? So fundamentally, so we can learn from it as well, so that we can understand 
these types of situations so that when you have place a global pandemic like that. And it's important to have the facts early on because it certainly affected the world. Okay, I agree with all that, but there needs to be accountability and maybe compensation as mean? well. Thank you both. Olivia Troy, what does that mean? Yeah. Well, that, that means that if they, if they covered up, I'm not saying this happened because I don't know, but if they covered up knowledge that there was negligence on their part that allowed it to leak, and if hundreds of thousands of Americans paid a price well, as I, a result I, I, no, because that, of the delay in treatment, they need to pay for it. How? What, what does that mean? It, it means compensation for what the United States went through that the United States would not have gone through had we known sooner what the truth was. I truly wish I had more time to pursue this, but I don't. Thank you both. Olivia Troy and David Fromm. It's straight out of a movie plot, a mysterious illness striking government officials near the White House, diplomats and spies complaining of nausea, headaches, hearing loss. What is it? And who's behind the strange attacks? We'll take it up with a former CIA officer who suffered crippling symptoms and an investigative reporter digging into the so-called Havana syndrome. Stay with us. Imagine an attack on American diplomats, spies, troops, and national security officials that sounds like this. Nothing. It's silent. And there's no visible wound, but the effects can be debilitating. Nausea, vertigo, numbness, and more. Maybe you heard about this happening to Americans in Cuba, hence the name the Havana Syndrome, then in Russia. And what about right here on U.S. soil? Investigators now looking at two NSC officials that came down with a mystery illness late last year, right near the White House, no less. I've got two perfect guests to talk more about it. Former CIA officer Mark Polymeropoulos, who came down with a mystery symptom in Moscow, and the New Yorker's Adam Entis, who's written extensively about this. Mark, how did it feel? So this was, you know, one of the most terrifying experiences of my life. You know, it was December of 2017. I was I woke up in the middle of the night in a Moscow hotel room and I had an incredible case of, of vertigo. I couldn't stand up. I was falling over. I had a splitting headache. I had, I had tinnitus ringing in my ears. Look, I'd spent a lot of time in, in the war zones in Iraq and Afghanistan. You know, I'd been put myself, you know, in, in great peril. But this was the most terrifying experience of my life. I know that now you're retired from the CIA. Are you retired on some form of disability? In other words, does the government recognize, formally recognize, that you suffered an injury on the job? Well, well in fact, quite to the contrary. I retired at age 50 because I could at the time, but I had to. I mean, I... I I couldn't go through a single day of work without a splitting headache. I've actually had a headache for three straight years, and and the fact of the matter is is I you know I was I was uh, it was it was denied by the CIA medical staff and CIA seniors that anything happened to me, and so you know I left there you know uh, at a, at a certain time at 50, um, but with the clear understanding that my leadership, who I really trusted before, um, didn't believe that anything had happened to me. Adam, how many are there like my guest, Mark? Well, I mean, you know, there's a, a, you know, nobody really knows, frankly. First of all, nobody knows the, the real numbers. Um, that, that's the first thing we should stress. Um, the number that they're tracking of possible cases is over 130 
of, of which, of, of that 130, about 50 of which are CIA officers and family members. So uh, it g- gives you a sense of the scale. But there were, there were a big group of people that were injured in Havana. I mean, the number, the number there that was studied at the University of Pennsylvania was 40. And that wasn't, the in, that wasn't the all-inclusive number. So, again, the numbers are really hard to pin down. Adam, what is the working hypothesis? Uh, I, 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 you know, from the very beginning, the working hypothesis has been that this was a directed energy device. Maybe, you know, maybe that was designed to spy or to block communications uh, and, and that it had this other uh, effect of actually injuring the people. But... Again, this is a hypothesis. The intelligence hasn't been collected to, to make that hypothesis um, anything more than that. Uh, and what's really kind of remarkable uh, about this is in the four years since, this, you know, since we started tracking this in Havana, uh, there, there really hasn't been much of a change on the intelligence collection side of it. Um, but the number of people who are coming forward to say that this is what happened to them has increased dramatically. Mark, what do you think happened to you? Well, clearly, that you know, it, it was something pretty dramatic happened, and, and one of the one of the biggest things is after I finally got after battle battle with the with the U.S. government for healthcare, when I finally received treatment in Walter Reed's National Intrepid Center of Excellence, I, I received a diagnosis of of a, of a traumatic brain injury suffered from an external exposure event. So the doctors know that something happened. Um, you know, you know what that is remains to be seen, but but make no mistake, both myself. Um, other colleagues in the CIA and really a lot of colleagues in the State Department as well. Um, something pretty pretty awful happened there, and, and for myself and many others, it's been an absolutely debilitating injury that's caused you know not only the need to retire but incredible you know mental health issues. Uh, you know because ultimately this is a silent wound. You know a colleague of mine during some some art therapy sessions at Walter Reed had made this incredible painting. It's a black canvas, and there's a red splotch on it. It looks like blood and. And he called that the gunshot. And what that means is we all wish we had been shot. We wish we had a more visible wound. And so it's a, it, it's a you know, it's been a pretty awful experience and, and a journey that I certainly never expected to be on. Adam, in The New Yorker recently, you detailed the story of a 30-something working in the waning days of the Trump administration, leaves the Eisenhower Executive Building, headed to his car at the Ellipse, and is stricken with what Mark is describing. Begs the question, is the president safe? Yeah, I mean, in fact, before that episode, there was a there was an earlier episode involving another White House staff member who was walking her dog in Alexandria, uh, Virginia, near her home, where uh, she saw a, a van parked across the street and a guy get out of the van, and then she felt this extraordinary pain and sort of doubles over in pain. And she, when she reports that to the to the security staff at the White House after that. Uh, O'Brien, who was the national security advisor at the time, convened a series of kind of security briefings because people were worried, you know, who else could be targeted. And what's interesting was that O'Brien concluded that uh, senior officials, cabinet members, people like himself were not at high risk, that the risk seemed to be uh, more junior people, if you will, uh, you know, people who had direct access because of their jobs to information sensitive intelligence, uh, that maybe the perpetrators of this were targeting with the with what what whatever they were doing but frankly they the 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 amount of knowledge is very limited because they haven't caught anybody in the act they haven't found a device um so they basically have to make these assessments based on the testimony of 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 patients like mark 
you know, that's, that's what they have to go on at this stage. Hey, gents, I'm out of time, but I, Mark, I just want to say this. Everything I know about your business, I learned from Jason Bourne, but I wonder if we're trying to replicate it. Maybe that would help us figure it out. Quick yes or no. Do you know if the CIA is trying to see, can we do this? I don't mean to harm somebody, but to try and understand better what maybe happened to you? Look, look I'm confident that the CIA and, and the intelligence community, the Department of Defense is pulling out all the stops on this. I think it's, it's a national security concern now. This, is, this has to do with the protection of our personnel overseas. So uh, I'm sure they're, they're, they're doing everything possible uh, you know, to, to, to get to the bottom of this, no doubt. Wish yeah, you good I, things. I can Adam, thank they, you. Great, great report. Yeah. Oh, you can? Right. Tell me quickly. Yeah, they're, they're, they are doing, they're, they're right now starting a program to reverse engineer it. Uh, so they want to see what it takes to build something like this. Uh, and, and their intention is to, at a military laboratory, expose non-human primates to this kind of radiation to see whether, it, you know, this kind of exposure to pulse microwave would reproduce the sort of brain injuries that you're seeing in the human patients as well. So that, that's something that's getting underway as we speak. Mark, we wish you good things. Adam, great reporting in The New Yorker. Appreciate you being here. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. By the way, Mark Polymeropoulos is the author of a great new book called Clarity in Crisis, Leadership Lessons from the CIA. Airline travel back, but so is a disturbing surge in air rage. We're talking passengers punching flight attendants. In one case, knocking out their teeth. Union leader Sarah Nelson says she's never seen misbehavior this bad and it's gotta stop. So pack your patience, people. We'll be right back. Memorial Day weekend finally here. More than 37 million people expected to travel. That's a 60% jump from last year and more than any other time since the pandemic began. But more passengers has meant more unruly passengers, according to the FAA. And that means more danger for flight attendants. And here's the proof. That flight attendant lost two teeth and the passenger has now been banned from Southwest Airlines. But why is this happening? We're going straight to the pro, the international president of the Association of Flight Attendants, Sarah Nelson. Sarah, what the hell? <laughs> what the hell is right, Michael? This is unacceptable. This is more than 20 times more incidents in the first five months of this year than would occur in a regular entire year. And so, and what flight attendants are seeing out there is a constant combative attitude. This has been inconsistent information so that people are not clear about what the rules are. They're ready to get out. People are um, thinking that they're coming to the door of the airplane, uh, taking on the issues of safety procedures as though they're a political decision rather than a public health necessity. And it's really got to stop. It's got to stop because the only way that aviation works is when we come to the door of the airplane with the spirit that we're all in this together. You know, we tell you to put your seatbelt on. We don't say, if you believe that your seatbelt's going to help you, you should put it on. We tell you to put it on because we know that clear air turbulence can not only throw you to the ceiling, when you land, you can fall on someone else and hurt them too. So this is about keeping everyone safe on the plane. And flight attendants are just begging the public, uh, listen to our instructions. Our instructions are there to keep everyone safe. We can all check our patients as we go on our trips. And then we can try to get back to some sort of normal. 
Is the punishment sufficient for these incidents? So since January 13th, the FAA Administrator Steve Dixon has said he's taken a zero-tolerance policy approach to any unruly passengers. And so what that means is that you are subject to $35,000 for each incident and jail time. This is a federal offense, so these are very serious consequences. There was uh, Someone was charged over $63,000 last week. So the fines are severe, and they can be very severe, but so are your actions. Little problems on a plane can become big problems very quickly. One thing I want to make really clear, though, is that I've been a flight attendant for 25 years, and people come on our planes. They're a microcosm of our entire society, and they come on because um, they're celebrating, uh, they are grieving, they are going to a big business deal, uh, they are traveling to connect together. You have unaccompanied children going to different family members. All of these people coming on board, guess why? Because they want to come together. Aviation is about bringing people together, not tearing them apart. And the vast majority of people come to the door of our airplane with kindness in their heart and a desire to have a safe, uneventful flight. What we have to do now is really lift that up and encourage that kind of attitude and understand that there are severe consequences if you don't just act like an adult. I'm limited on time, but one thing I'm taking away from this discussion is that you think better direction need be given to the traveling public to avoid the tension that builds and creates these circumstances. We have to be very clear in the instructions about what is expected of each traveler. And Secretary Mayorkas made that very clear yesterday. FAA Administrator Steve Dixon has made that clear. The TSA has made that clear, and so has President Biden. Everybody needs to listen up. We need to repeat that messaging. And let me just say this. No drinking alcohol in the airport. We need to pause alcohol sales in the airport and on the airplane. And everyone just needs to focus on getting along, wearing your mask, get vaccinated, and then come fly with us and let's regain our freedom. Sarah Nelson, that was excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you, Michael. We'll be right back. Thank you for watching. I'll be back in this chair in 11 hours. Join me tomorrow and every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern for Smirconish right here on CNN. Don Lemon tonight with Laura Coates sitting in starts right now. Laura, the Sirius XM POTUS channel takeover of CNN continues. So I take know. it away. I love it. And again, 11 <laughs> hours from now, that's, that's a little before voting. I get a couple days off until my next show, but I'm so glad to be on with you. And Sirius XM POTUS is certainly too. in the house tonight. Thank you so much, Michael. Great to see you. you Quality sleep is essential. And that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.